Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology with me, Tiasha Zeit. This is the second episode about digital health in the Nordics. In the previous episode, you could listen about Denmark, how elderly care is managed there, and how EHRs have been in place for years so clinicians and patients can access data digitally. Not only that, patients can see doctor's notes since 1987. In this episode, we'll focus on Norway. Why do Norwegians have not only long life expectancy, but more importantly, a really high number of healthy years? I talked with Nart Schroze, journalist by background who's been working on e-health since 2007 and has both started and built up Health World and the EHIN conference. EHIN, which stands for eHealth in Norway, is actually starting in early November, so do check out the link in the show notes to learn more about the event. Nart also talked about what are people satisfied and dissatisfied with when it comes to healthcare in Norway. We also briefly discussed the healthcare IT infrastructure. Next week, We'll talk about the secondary use of data in Finland, so do subscribe to the podcast to be notified about the episode automatically. Additionally, go to www.facesofdigitalhealth.com to browse through other episodes and topics as well. Now, to Norway. Nart, hi, thank you for, for joining me. Because this is part of a series about the Nordic countries, let's start with just a warm-up question. How would you describe Norway compared to other Nordic countries? From a healthcare perspective? Uh, the healthcare uh, perspective and the general culture perspective. Mm. Yes. So for myself, I, I was, I've been living in Norway almost 30 years, but I was born and raised in the Netherlands. So I, I come from another country and uh, look to Norway, maybe from a little bit different eyes than a, a, a born Norwegian has been doing. Norway is, is a very huge company of a country in, 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 uh, in area, but, but the population is small. It's only a little over 5 million people. And somehow Norway has managed to to keep the population spread all over the country and, and and keep the people living in the districts, even though Oslo and some other cities are really magnets for a lot of, especially young people. There's been a lot of energy to keep people moving, uh, to keep people living around in the country. So when you go up long north or to the west, you find people everywhere, which is very different. Another thing which I think makes... Norway pretty special is that uh, the country found oil in the, the late 60s, early 70s, and especially the last 20, 25 years, there's a considerable amount of money has been earned on the oil, which makes Norway a rich country. Of course, a lot of advantages. Sometimes it's also hard to make things happen because you don't you have money to do everything you don't have to really be very smart and what is also different of what's special for Norway now is that we see that the oil time is over so we're really working hard to the climate but it's also we will not be able to work for so many people in the oil industry so we have to find new ways to 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 live to work to create value and healthcare is definitely one of the the um, areas which have been mentioned a lot to 
to be at least a part of the oil and how can we create a new oil area on, on a healthcare and sustainability and this kind of things. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what we're going to, to talk about today exactly. Uh, what I th thought was quite uh, interesting and I'm hoping that you will be able to help me understand is mm. one of the research of, by Deloitte compared countries based on their life expectancy, availability of doctors and also healthy uh, years of life and Norway has a long life expectancy it's um, 82.8 years mm -hmm. and you have 70.4 healthy years of life in statistical uh, analysis but for comparison if we look at some other European countries that also have life expectancy for example Italy has even a year longer life expectancy than Norway but has uh, almost four years less of healthy years. So Italians can expect to have 66.8 healthy uh, years. Similarly, in the in Netherlands, you can expect to live for 82 years, but mm -hmm. only 59.2 uh, of them are going to be like the healthy years. Mm -hmm. So what would be your general description or idea? What are the reasons that Norwegians not only live long, but live long and, and well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very good question. I, I have to admit, I don't, I cannot answer from a scientific point of view because this is more our view in Norway, but clearly there's been a lot of working on the smoking very early. I think Norway was one of the first countries which was really restricted on, on smoking in bars and restaurants. And of course, that helps a lot with uh, with uh, good health. But the same with alcohol. Norway is pretty restrictive on alcohol compared with some other countries uh, and have a relatively good amount of cases on, on liver diseases and this kind of thing. Norway is also a very, uh, it's a country with a lot of nature. So a lot of people like to exercise, like to live outside, to do things in nature. And as I told you about the oil, Norway is also a rich country and traditionally, of course, people who have uh, more money in statistically are living better than those who do not have a lot of money. So people are exercising, people have money to buy uh, vegetables and, and healthy uh, food. So that's what I think could explain some of these of these uh, differences with other countries. Uh, you mentioned yeah, that the country is rich. Quite a high percentage of GDP is also attributed to healthcare, 10.5%, which is quite above the, the average uh, in Europe. What does mm. that mean in terms of accessibility of healthcare? What are the biggest challenges? That's uh, always difficult to compare countries and, and, and amount. But, but Norway is a, a, a one-payer system. There is uh, uh, some, to some extent, uh, the private sector on healthcare is increasing, but it's still very small. And it's mainly on extra help you you get. So all the basic health services are free if you live in Norway, or you pay very little. And compared with that, I think the the, the amount of money we use on that is not very it's not very high. It's not really uh, growing quickly, though we see that as in all the other countries we're getting older and and that will make the budget grow. But in, actually, it's been pretty okay the last years compared to to services we have and, and, and you see also that Norway is a, is a very big country the distances are very long and, and for people a lot of people uh, need to travel a lot to get the healthcare and I think that's one of the main challenges in Norway how are you going to distribute healthcare services to all the people equally if you have cancer and you live in a remote area it's much more difficult to to get a good follow-up you know, if you are in a central place where you live in close to the most uh, 
most best hospital with all the equipment and so on. So that's one of the real challenges, and that's maybe one of the reasons that the healthcare in Norway is relatively expensive because we need to supply the services to all the people through the whole country, and we want to have that all the people have equal services. And that's of course things which, which cost a, a little extra. Mm-hmm. And it, does that mean the the fact that people are spread out and mm. a lot of them are in remote areas, did that in any way uh, impact the development of telemedicine mm. already before? Again, it's a funny question because Norway has uh, started with a center for telemedicine. I think it was in 92 or 93. And I, I did actually a podcast with the, the one who was leading the center at that time because then the COVID came and suddenly everything was, all the GPs were starting to use uh, video consultation. And then I had a podcast with him and some others and asked, what did you think in 93? How quickly did you think the telemedicine would uh, come around in Norway? And he said, well, at that time, I thought within three to five years, everybody would be using telemedicine uh, solutions. But unfortunately, it didn't. So when the COVID came, it, I think it were only 200 GPs who were in Norway, I think there are four and a half thousand GPs totally, who were using video consultation uh, on a daily basis or uh, actively. And then within two weeks, suddenly 80 or 90% of all the GPs ordered the, the same solution. So no, we needed really the COVID to, to come over the threshold and try to find out. And, and, and what's inter- interesting is to try to find out why did we, did we need it? Why did we need a, a, a pandemic to help us to take this video consultation in use? And also another question is what is going to happen when the pandemic is over? Are we going back to, to normal, to physical meetings, or are we continuing with the video consultation? So that's uh, something psychological, very strange. And I think we should study that because it's, it's very important. If, if we want to introduce technology, we have to find out why there are restrictions to, to implement it. And I think if you look to telemedicine, it has very much to do that the doctor only get paid when the patient was in the room. And it took a long, long time to change that by law and, and, and its regulations that uh, you could also uh, get the same amount of money when you were not in the same room. And it's showing that your, your regulation and the way how you pay for your services is very important if you want to introduce technology. A lot of people tend to forget it. If municipalities or hospitals or politicians, they think we have the technology and we want to use it. And they then, then forget that you really have to change something in the structure and, and, and in the way of thinking and, and in your regulatory part and your payments. So we see, though, much development in, in supplying different kind of health services, mental health services. We have a lot of projects, uh, and, and that is really one of the focus points. Last uh, few years, we see that we have a hospital which is working with rehabilitation. You know, people had an accident or an illness and they have to build up their body and their movements again. And, and there, yet there's some pinpoints where we really are strong on developing telemedicine and, and helping patients at home and so on. So you see some areas where, where Norway is very good, and but, but basically, no, we should have been much better on telemedicine than we are at this moment. Mm.
Is there a uh, change that you see is going to stay in the system because of the pandemic? What mm -hmm. I mean is, if you ask people, healthcare professionals, patients, policymakers, a year ago, everybody or many would say telemedicine is here to stay. Healthcare progressed uh, for, for decades because of this pandemic, but now we already see that in the US uh, and elsewhere, the payers are actually mm. pulling back uh, with things going back to normal. People are expected to come back to the physician's office. I think at Hims Digital, one of the doctors mentioned that there's perhaps too much hype that everything is going to be done with telemedicine, whereas in fact, maybe 10% of the visits are done through telemedicine because also in some cases patients like to see their doctors in person. Also, what I thought was quite interesting on a recent call that I had with the representatives of the healthcare system in Israel, they mentioned mm. that they offered doctors teleconferencing and video calls, but realized that most things done through telemedicine just needed a phone call. So you didn't mm. even need video. So what's the, the, the sentiment in, in Norway is, mm. are things going back to the way they were mm. uh, before the pandemic? Or is there a change here that's going to stay with telemedicine? Yeah, I, I think we saw a uh, development before the COVID where we had some uh, more uh, commercial services showing up where you can uh, you can buy your, your consultation for some extra money. And you, we saw that was very popular, especially amongst uh, parents with small children or young people. Something suddenly happens and you want to know, hey, I have this on my arm and this on my stomach. What? What am I going to do? You know, this first reaction, I think that's that, that a lot of people starting to think about they can do that on a video basis. But in, in, in that time, also the, the Doctors Association was doing a, a report because they saw that this was a trend and they wanted to understand more of the video consultation. And they were doing a, a report and I think there was about 15% of the consultations that thought could be done by video. And the others, they really wanted to have a person in the room and and look at the person and can touch because you can see more on the patient on an, on an individual things you don't see through the screen and then the, as i said the covid came and now suddenly 90 percent of the gps use the video conference and i think we'll come back not to 15%, but we will fall down quite a bit because the citizens, patients and, and doctors like to be in the same room. It, it has some advantages. You, you feel that you can speak freely in that room. And, and But I think it's also a, a way of getting used to things because look to the financial world. We just pay by card and now we pay by phone. And when it comes, everybody said, no, we're not going to do it. But if it's done in the right way, you will start to use it too. And we see that there are a lot of young doctors, young nurses coming into the healthcare service and they are much more eager to use uh, this kind of more mobile video services because they used to do it. They used to talk with somebody on their phone and they know if they have a question. And for example, nurses who are working at home and as a that we see that there is a tendency to bring people early out of the hospital to the homes. But it means also that the nurses who are working in the homes need to have much higher knowledge on follow-up uh, patients because the patients coming out of the hospital are much more ill than they were before. Best they before were maybe three days or a week longer at the hospital. 
and they might become uncertain of what is happening and and then I think they were really eager to be able to get a call with a doctor and say now I'm at home and I'm with this patient and you've operated him for a heart or a cancer or whatever and I see this and this what do you think should this patient come to the hospital or can I do it and I think this kind of service we will see a strong development because it's on the connection from the I think also the clinicians see the use of, of, of how much more services they can give locally by using this. But yeah, of course, fortunately, the, the pandemic is about to not to disappear, but at least to be we can work with that in, in, in our countries. And, and I think, of course, you will see a fallback. And I think it will be less than 50 percent. Maybe we go back to 15, 20 percent to begin with and then slowly because we also have to learn, we have to learn, we have to do research, we have to find out what works on the video, what does not work on the video, because that's very important. And, and that's one of the things with, with technology, I think, and uh, it's a very interesting thing that like before, when you had a new solution in healthcare, when it was a, a drug or a procedure or a way of treating people, you were using like five to 10 years to research before you really were um, using this on patients. Because the technology is coming every day, every week, every month. You cannot wait till the 10 years and then start to use it. If we'd been doing that with the iPhone, we would be using iPhone 1 because that's 10 years old or iPhone 2. You have to get a quicker way to implement uh, technology. And then you need research, which is following the real world's data and find out what's happening and how should we, is this implementation right or should we change it? And that is the thing we, we get more and more focus on. But it's a different way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. And I think uh, with the development of AI, there's even more caution coming into approving uh, technology mm -hmm. because the regulatory frameworks mm -hmm. are not well established yet in terms of what uh, qualifies as good evidence for AI use. But that's a, a whole different topic altogether. What I'm wondering a little bit more about Norway is that the e-health and just the whole national digital infrastructure in the country because on paper it seems that e-health in Norway is exemplary. You've got the national health network which is a state enterprise that provides efficient and secure electronic exchange of patient information between all relevant parties and even uh, social services and uh, in, again, on paper, virtually all GPs use electronic health records and, trans mm. and transmit prescriptions electronically to, to pharmacies. So it seems that a lot of the um, work is digitalized. What is mm. the situation in practice? What works well? What are the hurdles? What are the big healthcare IT questions at the moment? Oh, yeah, you're right. There's been done a good deal of work the last decade in Norway. It started slowly, but there's been a lot of focus on digitalization. So there's become a directorate of e-health, which is working with a lot of projects. And there is the Norse HealthNet, as you mentioned, which is the backbone of exchanging health. And also the e-prescription solution is working very well. Even though it's had a lot of time before everything was connected to it was first was the GPs and it took a long time before all the hospital were using also their prescriptions into it. Though there is a lot of work being done, there's still a lot of problems. The, the municipalities who are working for all the home care and all the follow-up of the patients, 
they have old and very fragmented systems, mainly because for a long time it was not allowed to exchange data between different healthcare systems. A lot of communities, a lot of municipalities have built up their own way of doing things and they have problems to exchange data with, with hospitals and with other municipalities makes it something which is really has focused now how are we getting the municipalities, the home care on a, on a level where they can all communicate together. So that's one of the big projects I think we'll start working on. Now. We've been working on it but there's been a lot of discussion around it. Uh, another thing is that the Norway has a lot of health registers with pretty good cancer, you named a lot of uh, birth and mother and daughter, and there's a lot of different health registers. And they're very good because they've been collecting data on, on uh, Norwegians for over a long time and probably the best health registers in the world. But they are unfortunately all in different systems and they are partly they are paper and, and so we work on a health data platform for digitalizing all those data into a platform where researchers uh, easily can access those data. And there's just a, the, the first step has been said. There's been done a lot of work. As you say, regularly uh, part is very important here. So this is something which we work on. It's a big project and it's not started yet. We are working with a lot of it, but it's... So that is a very important thing. And I think uh, a third big movement is that we be trying to get the, the patients, the people quicker out of the hospital. So they have to more, uh, be more at home and then the, the home care and, and the... the, the care around the person is really more getting more and more important and there we have to do a lot about how to communicate around a patient at home and how are we going to monitor this person what can you do yourself what can your your peers around you can do and 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 that's just a total change of way of thinking how we organize our, our healthcare system. And I think also there's a lot to do. Of course, there's a lot of uh, innovation, a lot is happening. Probably compared with some other countries, Norway is ahead because there's also some considerable more money. And, and the Norwegian population is very digital. Everybody's had the new smartphone and people are really very digital and mobile. But I think still there's a lot to do. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned that the nation itself is very digitalized. So mm. what, how does that translate into healthcare and the solutions that are used? The Norwegian Center of Excellence in Health Technologies called the Norway Health Tech is mm -hmm. a cluster of organizations that includes around 280 institutions, which I think is a lot. So I wonder what would you say that are the top solutions or companies hmm. that stand out in terms of health tech success? We, we have several uh, clusters. We have the Oslo Cancer Cluster, Norwegian Smart Care Cluster, and as you mentioned, Norway Health Tech. So there's a lot of innovation going around now, and, and we see a lot of... Uh, we see also a change, you know, because in, until a short time ago, all the people were investing money. If you have a lot of money and you want to invest it, and you were looking at healthcare, there was hardly money to earn. And then there was the big oil industry and everybody said, wow, I'm going to invest in the oil industry because I'm sure that my money is getting uh, doubled uh, within a few years. So it was, it was one thing for a long time. It, it was hard to get to attract investments to healthcare. Now we see that the oil industry is is diminishing. There's a lot of talk, of course, about the climate. We want to be more sustainable. We want to be neutral on on CO two. And one and and we see now the last years that there's a lot of in, 
uh, money is going to the healthcare. Not a lot, not a lot compared to the the oil industry, but much more than before. So we have some some good companies. We have uh, Dips, which is an EHR, which is our national EHR for the hospitals. They got eighty five percent, and they have been changing their company into buying other companies and trying really to want to be an innovation hub for Norway. So that's interesting. We see. Uh, a company like uh, Imatas is really working on the patient flow through the hospital and, and the home care, and they're really uh, supporting both the, the patients and the clinicians in following up when you visit the hospital, when you meet your doctor and so on. But there are an enormous amount of big and small companies working on, on different things, and I think uh, we'll see some of the Norwegian innovations soon also around in the world. So the, you mentioned DIPS, which has mm. over 80% of uh, hospitals with their EHR. Does that mean that none of the external uh, EHR providers are, are present in the country? Or- yeah, we have on the, on the hospital side, we have Epic is the, in the mid region, which is 15% of the country, and they uh, are in a project where uh, they want to combine the hospitals, the home care, and the GPs in one system which then is supposed to be epic. It's a, process, it's a project which is in, in a process, so we don't really know how they, there have been some delays uh, because of the COVID-19. And on a, on, on a municipality level, there is different uh, vendors like Cheto Every and some others. So there are more, but Dips is the one of the, the one of the biggest real e-health companies in, in Norway. We talked that uh, the nation is very digitized. We talk that healthcare has a lot of digital components that are used. And uh, when it comes to healthcare digitization and data, the next big topic is once we have structured data, how is that data going to be used? And what are the potential secondary uses of the Mm -hmm. data apart from the primary use for the patient and making uh, his care as personalized as possible? Mm -hmm. Obviously, to make the care as personalized as possible, you need to have industry and research centers to do research and develop solutions based on large amounts of data. And I thought I found the research done by Accenture about the preparedness of patients in order to share their data. And while a lot of them were very willing to share data with their doctors, 66% of the survey confirmed that they're comfortable with that. Only 37% said that they're willing to share data for either medical research in non-commercial areas, so non-commercial areas, and it's mm-hmm. 37%, and only 28% said that they shared data for commercial purposes. Is there any comment that you can add uh, to this data? No, I, th- I think, I'm not sure if the, what, what the questions are, but that I think people are very eager to share data in Norway if they can help other people with it. And, but there's also, Norway is a very trustworthy system, so people are really re- relying on the healthcare system. Um, and I think a lot of people still think that, that this, this trust is laying in, the, in the, uh, the contract between the doctor or the nurse and the, and the patient citizen. And they might not really trust the digital system, especially if this includes a vendor from abroad. They're not really, they don't really trust their, their, that the data are safe in the systems. And which is strange because Norwegians use a lot of digital systems and they don't, they, they fly 
and they use their finance uh, and that's based on on um, a lot of international technology but when it comes to healthcare there seems to be a kind of tendency to to believe that <clears throat> if you keep the data in Norway and and if it's not in a cloud or it's not in a data center in in Germany or in the United States that's much safer than and, and I think a lot of people are not do not really understand how the how the digital world is working and do not really trust the the foreign companies that they are that their data are safe there so i think a lot of people when they ask do you want is it okay that you can use my data for research they say yes of course if i know that it's the researcher who's living next door or in the hospital where i go but if you say can we take your data and share them with researchers all over the world, because now we might uh, solve the cancer mystery. I think a lot of Norwegians still say, well, wait a moment, what's that? Where, where are my data and, and what's happening there? Yeah, I think it might be a kind of uh, part of the uh, explanation why that number is pretty low. Mm -hmm. Why I think a lot of people want to share their data for the greater good. Maybe it's just a research question where if you were asked to share your data for research purposes while you're mm. in the hospital, probably the perception would be different than if it's just a general question in a survey that might just yeah. be an explanation, maybe. But I'm really glad that you spoke a little bit about the trust that people have in the system because I was really surprised to, to read one of the news on digitalhealth.net that while in general we saw that very few countries around the world were successful with COVID tracing apps, which in theory could help a lot mm. with slowing down the, the progress of the COVID spread. And Norway has been even forced to stop loading data to its national COVID-19 track and trace act after a ruling by the national data privacy mm. watchdog and even an Amnesty International investigation went as far to, to compare Norway with Bahrain and Kuwait as having some of the most invasive COVID-19 contact tracing apps mm. around the world. Go ahead, please enlighten me what the whole situation with COVID tracing apps was and is. Mm. Well, the, the privacy is, is very strong in Norway. To protect your healthcare data is, is pretty strong, your, your personal data. Anyhow, if it's healthcare, but healthcare is maybe one of the most. Uh, and, and we have pretty strong regulations there. And the app was not following the regulations, so it was based on the GPS. Well, you can do it, by, for example, by Bluetooth or some other technologies which are not locating you all the time where you are. And I think it was one of the main reasons that the data protection authority said that you're not allowed to use the, to, to force people to tell by GPS where they are, because that is really controlling all the time where you are. And if a government can do that, it's scary. If you look from the COVID perspective, you say, wow, please do it because we want to stop it. But if you look from a different side and say, but the government can see whenever they want where you are and of course they couldn't because there were restrictions in the app but, but in potentially that is possible so i think that the, there are a lot of discussion about privacy in norway it comes to healthcare, come to other societal areas but the main thing is that you can solve things in a good way and i think the data protection uh, authority is pretty good in telling yeah but if you use a different technology if you do it this way 
you have privacy by design, if you quit your, the data when you're done with them, if you only use them for the purpose you said you were going to use them for, if you don't use GPS with Bluetooth and so on, um, then they are pretty good in helping you to build the right solution. But in this more panic year, they were just not listening and just made something which was probably not good enough. So I think it's always nice when one come to 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 put things in the international media and and compare the countries. But it's of course from a in one angle, and it's not real about what's happening. But it's I, I remember that this came in the news, and a lot of people were just thinking, "What's standing there? What do I read?" You know. So sometimes it's good that somebody else give us a, a kick in the back. For yeah, you can. Your healthcare, unfortunately, on some level, is very nationalistic. It's very concentrated around your national politics. And, of course, every country is on healthcare is, is sovereign. And uh, you see also in the European Union, while a lot of agriculture or different things, you have a mutual policy. But healthcare is one of the areas where every country got its own uh, policy, which makes it a very nationalistic way of thinking. And I think that's unfortunate. And I think we should solve some of the health problems more internationally, to think more Nordic, even to think more European. And unfortunately, by the COVID, everybody was so focused on his own solution that we were very much looking at the... Uh, comparing countries on, on how many people were getting ill and how well are we doing. And it was not a very fortunate period for international healthcare, I think. And still we see that in the Nordics, we say now we are back to normal, but still in a lot of the world there's COVID and a lot of people are dying, a lot of people have restrictions. And and uh, so it contributes to, to some interesting ethical questions the COVID on how we're going to use healthcare data, as you mentioned, first the data authority, data pr protection authority, what is healthcare data, suddenly your mobile phone is healthcare data, where you are, who you meet is healthcare data. So these interesting ethical questions, are we going to use that also in other, with other diseases? what we did with COVID. I would totally agree that international comparisons have done a lot of damage when it comes to managing COVID because different countries took different approaches in terms of mm. restrictions. But in today, today's globalized world where we get information about how other countries are doing and approaching problems, the fact that the country that you live in is approaching the problem differently can cause a lot of frictions and lack of trust uh, in the governments around the world. We mentioned a lot of things that Norway is doing well. You've got good access to healthcare because of the universal health coverage, which is funded by general taxes and by payroll contributions, and the enrollment is automatic. So access doesn't seem to be a problem. But what is a problem? What, what do people uh, usually complain about when it comes to healthcare? <laughs> what do you complain about? Yeah, well, I am. No, I think it's uh, there are some areas where it can be hard to to get a good follow up. There is uh, a lot of discussion new treatment which is not implemented in the Norwegian system, and then you see that some people who have a lot of money or loan a lot of money bring their peers to the United States or other countries to get treatments we don't have here. So there's a big discussion on. Because if you do everything um, together from a state or organization, it's not so easy to innovate. It's not so easy to take in new things. So in some countries, you can much quicker get access to new 
uh, treatments than in Norway because it's a slow system. And there I think there is a lot of discussion and how long can we manage to have a, a mutual system which is trust-based and also based on equality and then if some people move out and go to other countries to get a better treatment and they come back and they say there they have managed to treat me but here in Norway they can't and we have seen some examples and there have been much attention they got much attention in the media so there is there is really a lot of discussion about because it's not just threatening the healthcare system but it's also threatening the societal values we have in Norway on equality and and it's very hard uh, questions also because some treatments are very expensive and then the, the the state says no we don't supply this treatment when you're over 70 or over 80 or if you don't and, and then there's always somebody who is falling out that makes a lot of uh, and then there's a lot of writing about this kind of thing. So I think that's one of the main and the most difficult problems when we get personalized medicine, we've got new treatments, we see cancer got from one disease to now it's several hundred diseases. So who is going to get which treatment and which uh, medicine? And if it's very expensive, are we going to use that on a few cases? Are we going to use the money somewhere else? Yeah. And so that's, that's one uh, really a hard topic in Norway. What about if we turn the kind of the sentiment around? What do you think European countries or just other healthcare systems could learn from, from Norway? What is seen as a really exemplary practice, if possible in, a, in the digital sense, but if not, other examples are good also? I think, I think we've been, there, there's a real eagerness in Norway to do well for all the citizens. So I think those people who are working on healthcare and digital health are really trying to find solutions which uh, go for all the people, not just for a little group, but really try to build something which uh, is for all the systems. And we have been really working hard. The e-prescription is pretty good. I can just get anywhere my medicine through the whole country and go to any place to get new medicine. I can chat with my doctor by now. It's it's recently i can ask for advice i can ask for new medicines and and that's not connected to a insurance company or how much money i earn that's connected to my personal member my my person being in norway if you're the prime minister or the richest person in the in norway or just a student or somebody working at a supermarket you've got the same rights and the same digital access to your health data and your prescription. I think that's very good. And I wish that could be um, everywhere in Europe. Yeah, I think that's mm -hmm. one of the good points with Norway. Yeah, yeah, it sounds very soothing. I'm sure for many patients, especially those in countries that have a majorly different systems, and I, mm. I won't call out names. Before we wrap up, you're among the organizers of the EHIN conference, which is focused mm -hmm. on e-health in Norway. Mm -hmm. And the next conference is happening in November this year. Mm -hmm. uh, could you mention any highlights that uh, you mm -hmm. expect to hear there? What are kind of the hot topics at the moment? Mm. So the EHIN, uh, we've been doing that for two, since 2014 and it's become the main meeting place for digital health in Norway. In 2019, we had 1,700 people together in, in over two days. Uh, and of course, last year it was digital. And, and the, the goal with the EHIN is that we bring together the industry and the tech revolution together with the, the clinicians and the citizens and, and, and the research. And then we also want to 
to give it a political political direction, as we've been talked about the telemedicine. I mean, if you have the the ideas and the technology is not enough, you need to work also politically. And and that's a very interesting combination of three fields and bring them together. So we have an election next month, and so we will have a new health minister. And and so I hope this this new health minister will come as the last has been doing all those years. I think we will have a considerable amount of sessions on COVID and what it learned. And as you said, like video consultation, how are we going to use new tools? Home monitoring is, is a very important topic. How are we going to bring the patients quicker to home and how are we going to deliver the services there? We see also that we are getting elder and that's very positive, but that means also mean that we have a lot of more diseases which we will have through our life. And those diseases are partly not deadly anymore, like with cancer. we before you died of cancer, now more and more people survive, but it doesn't mean you are you don't have any problems anymore. You can have mental problems, you can have physical problems. You know, in Norway, we have every uh, 35,000 people <coughs> getting cancer, and we expect if in um, 10, 15 years, there will be uh, one-third more, 10,000 people more getting cancer. And there's a lot to do with people getting elderly. And then, so these are uh, very important items. And I was uh, connected to a study or a report from the Copenhagen Institute of Future Studies, which we did for a few years ago on, on Nordic Health 2030. And we see we have to change. If we want to have a sustainable healthcare system, we have to change from helping people who are, who are ill to helping people to not become ill. And and that's not just about eating apples. It's also about if you have cancer, how do you make people coming back to their work? Uh, don't get anxiety and depression. How do you keep people going with all those diagnoses we will get uh, through a, a longer life? And that is also, I think, a very in interesting transformation, how we try to build a system which is more sustainable. It's not just solving the problems, but it's more focused on how we are going not to get problems, how are we going to, to, to manage our own health care, the health care of our parents, of our children, of, of the, the area we live. And we get more and more data that could be anything from your, your pulse clock and different kind of things. And how are we going to use the data to keep fit, to keep strong, to keep lucky, to keep working, to keep doing all those things, even though we get ill. I think that's a very important focus for, for us and I hope also for the rest of the world. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. Faces of Digital Health is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. So do browse the Health Podcast Network by going to www.healthpodcastnetwork.com to search through many, many shows related to healthcare, healthcare optimization, nurse perspective, patient perspective, doctor's perspective, and more. Stay tuned.